All right, good afternoon, everyone. You know, if you're sitting here on the TV side, you know, there's, there's seats in the back here in the middle. Why don't you guys all move to the middle area? Go, go move now. Don't sit in the TV side if uh, there's seats open here. You guys can move right now. Go. All right. Uh, Pastor Aaron and myself, we've been gone for the last three weeks. We missed two Sundays because we were away in America. My wife, she preached at the Living Hope Young Adults Retreat in the San Francisco area. And the theme of the retreat was Rise Up. She was the main speaker. I did not help her one bit. She preached four powerful, dynamic messages. And I just tag team with her with the altar call. You know, I had a wonderful time. I was very blessed just interceding for her, getting her water and massaging her wherever she needed help. I was doing the work of an intercessor. Uh, Pastor Aaron, she preached some powerful messages. I really um, encourage you to go listen to those messages. Uh, it's at livinghopecc.us, which is the Living Hope's uh, website, and you'll be able to find all four of her messages. She preached a powerful series of messages there. I also got to preach at Living Hope Sunday services. I preached two different messages there. Uh, if you must listen to one of the messages, be sure to listen to the second one. Uh, it was actually, uh, Pastor Benjamin said it was my most powerful message I've preached at Living Hope to date. Uh, and it's because it is uh, one of my life um, kind of messages that I carry about the favor of God. And so I just kind of preached about that theme. And it, it really uh, ministered to a lot of people that day. After San Francisco, we flew out to Philly, spent some time with my mom. Spent some time with my dad. And then we went down to Virginia. And uh, praise the Lord, uh, Aaron's uh, brother put us up at the Hyatt Hotel, Hyatt House in the Mosaic District, which is a new area that was developed in northern Virginia near, uh, I think it's in um, Fairfax. Uh, we stayed at the hotel. Uh, it was a really nice hotel. We had some trouble checking in. Uh, but then the hotel made it worthwhile for us because they said to compensate us for our trouble. They upgraded our room from a regular room to a one-bedroom suite. And it was really, like, really nice. It was, like, ten times better. <laughs> like, it made uh, Erin so happy. She kept waking up in the morning and, and dancing and singing. <laughs> you know that's when my wife is happy. She's not a morning person. <laughs> when she wakes up and starts dancing and singing, oh, Hallelujah. You know she's happy. Uh, we had a wonderful time, and we got to officiate uh, David and Gina's wedding there in Northern Virginia. And we also visited uh, Aaron's brother's church, Christ Central Presbyterian, in Centerville, Virginia. And that was a real blessing, because I visited this church about six, seven years ago. Uh, and it was a completely different feel. And so uh, I, I was really praising God for just the, um, the change in leadership. And the church had come through a lot of different church splits and, and fighting, infighting and things like that. And uh, the church is doing really well, actually. They have about 450, 500 people in this brand new facility that I guess the Korean mother church built for them and they get to use. Uh, anyway, it was a real blessing to visit. Uh, and then we went to New York City and got to visit Aaron's parents. And while we were there, we met with various friends. Uh, 
people who were friends with me on Facebook knew that I was uh, obsessing over strollers during my entire time in America. In fact, every night I think I spent two to three hours researching strollers. If you have any questions on strollers, I can answer them. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, we ended up actually getting a stroller as a gift. And so we brought it back with us to Korea. And it's actually quite a good one. So we're pretty happy with that. And we're thinking maybe that'll be our main stroller. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're really blessed. Well, what's funny about that? Well, most people get like two or three strollers, that's why. Yeah, so y'all don't know. I don't know. Ask me, I'll tell you all about strollers. Ask me when you're actually married and, and have, a, have a baby in the oven, though. You know, don't ask me too soon. Because the stroller mark is constantly changing, you know. And so whatever I tell you today could be obsolete by the time you have a baby, you know. Anyway, <clears throat> while we were in New York... Uh, we're really blessed, by the way, all, all my cousins, all um, Aaron's family, they just really um, blessed us. Uh, Living Hope threw a little surprise baby shower when we were in San Francisco. Uh, completely unexpected. It was a total surprise, you know. They knew that we were about four months pregnant, and so they threw us a baby shower. And then we had a Sons from Afar dinner in San Francisco, and then we had a prayer meeting during the retreat. And then we had a Sons from Afar dinner in New York City. These, these are mostly our church alumni. Uh, that are living in New York. We had a dinner with them, and uh, we had it at the Rado's house in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. It's a beautiful, spacious apartment, and we had a wonderful time just sharing and praying together. And wherever we went, people kept giving us like baby clothes and and baby stuff and 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 stuff. Um, <laughs> and while we were in New York City, we actually got a divine appointment with a pastor. Uh, he's the senior pastor of Trinity Grace. And this is a church I didn't even know of. They actually started by, it was started by an Aussie. So he's from uh, Melbourne and grew up in Adelaide. Adelaide, is that, am I saying that right? And he moved to New York City about nine years ago. Around the time I left New York City, so that's why I had no idea what this church was. And uh, we just met, and I thought the person who set up the appointment knew Pastor John Tyson very well. But then when I asked Pastor John how he knew the guy who set up the appointment, Pastor John Tyson was pretty much like, actually, don't tell him I said this, but I don't know who he is. And I was like, why did you say yes then to meeting a random, you know, pastor couple from Korea then? And he's like, you know, I, I just knew. I just knew that I had to meet you. And so we just kind of, we met and we spent time sharing our stories. And it was an incredible blessing. I'm really thankful for uh, uh, Pastor John Tyson. I, I felt like, you know, it's rare to find pastors who have a very similar spirit to what uh, we're carrying here at New Philly. And I don't know how his ministry looks like. I haven't visited his ministry, but in terms of his leadership, uh, we share a lot of things in common. And so it was a real, real rare treat to be able to uh, meet another spiritual leader in the body of Christ uh, that has that kind of DNA. A real blessing. Um, anyway, a few weeks ago on August 3rd, I preached the message called A New Thing, Part Deuce. In French, I think it's deux. <laughs> anyway, am I right, hon? Am I close? All right. Part deux. In, in it. Oh, by the way, last night 
uh, as we mentioned during the praise reports, uh, Sarah, Juan, and Sam, you got married. They're actually here. They came in a little late. It's okay. Y'all got married last night. It's okay to be late. I don't know why y'all late, but you know, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right to be late. I bless you. But they got married last night. It was a wonderful, joyful occasion. Uh, Sam's parents are here. Sarah's parents are also here, along with uh, Sarah's sister. Uh, is Esther? Oh, Esther. Where did Esther go to church? She ain't going to church? Oh, she left already. Okay. God bless her. <laughs> what a wonderful time. What's just a... Uh, Man, Sarah, you, were, you came out really beautiful. Like, you were so beautiful yesterday. I mean, you, you were beautiful. And you are beautiful. Let me stop digging. I'll stop digging. Hey, we, we had a wonderful time. We're a true blessing to be able to officiate your wedding. Uh, Cassandra, if you're listening, we want to congratulate you and Curtis. I know you're getting married right now, or you, or you are married by now. Um, congratulations, and we are praying for you as you move to uh, the Berkeley area and start a new life with Curtis. Curtis, good luck. All right. <laughs> I love both of them. I love both of them. Now, um, a few weeks ago, I preached a new thing, and in it, I talked about how the Lord has been highlighting Isaiah 43, verse 18 to 19 this year, and this is a verse that was highlighted when we first began New Philly, and how it seems that God is using this passage to mark the start of a new season for our church, and I presented a few reasons why I think this theme is fitting at this hour, the major reason being that the senior pastor of our Korean mother church and the Samonim here, they blessed us to be independent and to start a building fund. So those are uh, two very major breakthroughs for our church that really does mark the new season that we're in. And in light of this, I talked about the 2020 fund. This is a fundraising campaign in which we want to raise enough funds to erect a new Philly building by the year 2020. And we envision this new Philly building to be an apostolic center from which we will continue to do church plants, engage in missions work, minister to the Lord through our house of prayer, uh, serve as an equipping center for full-time ministers and also uh, indigenous pastors from Asia, serve as offices for New Philly, Emmaus, K1, MPWM, other ministries, and to serve as a center for creative arts. I previously said that I will make a challenge today for the 2020 building fund. But I'm going to postpone that till next Sunday. Because I just got off the plane like 48 hours, 36 hours ago. And uh, I haven't had much sleep. So let me uh, prepare the building fund this week. Uh, and we'll, I'll preach on it next Sunday. I also talked about a planned church split. Now, I know when you think of church split, you think of negative things. But here, this is a planned church split. We're going to redeem that term. Because this is a God-ordained church split. Where two-thirds of the church here at Hillside will become New Philly Hongde. And one-third will form a new congregation here in the sanctuary. This split is going to take place in a few weeks. So second Sunday of September is what we have planned right now. 
And although we are doing a church split, New Philly Hongdae will not be going anywhere soon. Instead, we're going to share this facility and we're going to go multi-service. And then New Philly Hongdae is going to move to a new facility when we find one within the next eight to nine months. Now, I know this is a big change, but we want to go to multi-service immediately because we want to alleviate the overcrowding that's going on here at Hillside. And also, we want to redo our community group assignments in light of the new covenant communities, the new congregations that are going to come forth. So, New Philly Hillside, in these upcoming weeks, as we make these major changes, I want to encourage you. Let's roll with the punches. Let's adapt. Let's embrace a narrative of faith in our hearts. For the righteous shall live by faith. And when God does something, no matter how challenging it is, God is good. And what he does, he turns all, even, he, even the things that the devil does, he can turn around for your good. If you embrace a narrative of faith in your heart. Have faith and hope at all times. That is to be the theme of the Christian life. New Philly, Itaewon, Busan, Sydney, and our sons from afar. I want to ask you to pray for New Philly Hillside as we go through this major transition. I know that for many of you at our church plants, you're thinking, what's the big deal? We made far more sacrifices to plant the churches that we have. Uh, but, you know, here at Hillside, look, you got to take it easy on these guys, all right? Uh, pray for them. And uh, if you could remember them in in your prayers, we really appreciate that. So today I'm going to preach, I'm going to finish up my sermon series on wisdom with romance. This today will be the fifth and final installment. And I preached four messages so far. My first message was entitled, should I marry or stay single? My second message was, does God predestine my spouse? My third message was called Proper Covering for the Dating Process. In that third message, I described the New Philly Dating Protocol, which is an outline of an accountability system that we expect the New Philly leaders uh, to be accountable to and so that they don't just do independent dating here, uh, but they are accountable for the actions and steps that they take. And I outlined... Uh, the dating protocol stages. There are three main stages to dating protocol. Number one was dating. Two was going steady. And three was going public. Those are three stages of the dating protocol. Very easy to remember. And we have a lot of testimonies from people who have followed the New Philly dating protocol. Uh, A few weeks ago in Australia... Our sister Lydia Kim from our New Philly Itaewon campus, she got engaged to DJ from our New Philly Sydney campus. They met during a ministry trip down to Australia, and they followed dating protocol, and they are happily engaged. Uh, Yesterday, Louis Kang announced that he is dating Jane Cho from New Philly Itaewon. Uh, And they also follow the dating protocol process. Uh, in that, Sam and Sarah got married yesterday. They followed the dating protocol process. Uh, Cassandra and Curtis, even though Curtis is living in UC Berkeley, he heard about the dating protocol and he felt like that, that was what he wanted. So he sought us out and he sought out Aaron and my leadership to provide covering for his dating romance with Cassandra. And also David and Gina, who got married last week, uh, they also followed 
the dating protocol. So there's a lot of wonderful testimonies that are coming forth. And there are some parents that have overheard about the dating protocol. And they become big fans of it. <laughs> They're thinking, where was this when I was a young man? You know, uh, and we're very appreciative of parents that uh, recognize the wisdom and accountability that is there. Uh, and we appreciate that support. Um, Dr. Tony Beckham has in- encouraged me to write a book on the dating protocol. <laughs> and so pray for me. You know, personally, I don't want my first book to be a dating book. <laughs> you know, jo- Joshua Harris did that. And he was like, he was like stigmatized for life. As the kiss dating goodbye guy, you know? Uh, yeah, I rather, I wanna, I wanna preach, I wanna write a more dignified book. Not that dating, dating protocol is not dignified. But you know, I, I want something like, you know, the theology of the Holy Spirit in the contemporary church, something like that, you know? And then go with a dating book later. Anyway, Dr. Beckham says that he would pay like $25 for that book. So, you know, I guess I better write it. Um, my, that was the third message, dating protocol. Fourth was, should I date a non-believer? I just kind of directly addressed that issue because so many people have been asking about that. And I also uh, did a bonus message in there. Can women initiate a romance? And so that was my fourth message. I preached that down in Busan on July 27th. So if you want to pick up that message... Uh, be sure to check out our podcast. Actually, all four of these messages can be found on our podcast website or YouTube channel. Uh, look on your bulletin for the URL, and you can go and find those messages. Today, I'm going to cover healthy expectations for romance. Healthy expectations for romance. I think I mentioned that uh, I would preach a message about how to identify and deal with the fear of commitment. Um, I I think I'm going to delay preaching that message. I I might do it at a much later time. I need to put an end to the sermon series. So today is going to be it. All right. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And we will begin by looking at this text together. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 to 28. I'm going to read in the English Standard Version. Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 28. And it reads like this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I'm going to end there. Verse 28 says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. And what way is that? It's as Christ selflessly loved the church, husbands should love their wives. In that same way, as Christ loves the church, husbands 
Love your wives. And what was the purpose of Christ loving the church in this sacrificial way? Well, it says here in verse 26, the purpose was that he might sanctify her, sanctify the church. Now, in this passage, we find the purpose of marriage. The divine design of marriage is that through it, God's people may be sanctified. You know, it's very important to understand the purpose of marriage before you head into it. If you were an American football player and you thought the NFL, the purpose of the NFL was to make players happy, you would get disillusioned very quickly. Why? Because you would show up to intense practices, fierce competition, crushing hits delivered by the opposing team. And you would begin to think, I don't want any part of this. This is not making me happy at all. That's because the purpose of the NFL is not your happiness. If you're an American football player, the purpose of the NFL is to win the Super Bowl. Not to make you happy. Well, there's a lot of Christians who get married and they get disillusioned quickly because they think the purpose of marriage is their own happiness. Then they experience, when they get into the marriage or during the engagement, intense feelings of contempt, fierce conflicts. Crushing expectations from their spouse. And they begin to think, I don't want any part of this. Something must be wrong with my marriage. Because this ain't making me happy at all. And people get very quickly and easily disillusioned. Because they start off thinking that the purpose of marriage is about their happiness. Where, Where do we get this message from? Well, can I tell you one thing? It's not from here. The purpose of marriage, and it doesn't say husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for, that he might make her happy. That says he might sanctify her. Marriage is a gift given to help us deal with our sexual needs, but the purpose of marriage is not sexual gratification. The purpose of marriage is not to get rid of your loneliness. The purpose of marriage is not happiness. You know, you watch enough Korean dramas. You watch enough Hollywood movies. Every single romantic-themed movie and, 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 and Korean drama, what is the underlying message? People want to be 행복해. Ah, <laughs> I don't want many things. I just want to be happy. You know, and that's why they enter into a romance. That's why they enter into a marriage covenant. And they expect to be happy. And when you get these uh, unfiltered, when you're just eating all the meat that's being thrown at you and not throwing out the bone, you start getting uh, inundated with this message. 
The purpose of marriage is your happiness. Now, there's something to be said about happiness. Happiness is something you do enjoy in marriage. But it is not the ultimate purpose of marriage. According to Ephesians 5, the purpose of marriage is holiness. Everybody say holiness. It is to sanctify her. To sanctify each other. Marriage is designed by God to sanctify you. The purpose of marriage is not happiness. It is holiness. It is helping each other become your future glorious selves. Your future mature Reflecting the image of Christ's selves. That's the purpose of marriage. And Ephesians 5.26 says that Christ loved the church that he might sanctify her. Well, the same purpose applies to marriage. Spouses are called to love each other in marriage that they might both be sanctified. That they may manifest the character of Christ as described by uh, Galatians 5. The fruit of the spirit, which is a great description Of the character of Christ. What is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, faithfulness. Hallelujah. Now, once again, happiness is very important as well. I don't think happiness, you know, it's not all about like holy. Honey, our marriage is only about holiness. (laughs) Stop smiling. Stop smiling. (laughs) We're supposed to be holy. No, that's... uh, Happiness is important. It's just that people, they don't get happiness the way that they imagine. You see, when both partners in a marriage are sanctified, there is greater potential for greater happiness. You ever, you ever um, have a friend, but that friend just simply will not grow up? You have a friend like that? Man, I, I knew a kid back in New Jersey that was like that. He, he had the mind of a, like an 11-year-old. He was older than me. He, you know, he was, he was like three years older than me, but he had the mind of an 11-year-old. I think there were certain things in his family, and, and, and it caused him to stunt his maturity and growth. You know? And so you know, in some ways, you know, I, I, my heart went out to him. But when, we, when he would come out bowling and he would come out to fellowship with the rest of the church, it was, it was obnoxious because he had the mindset, of, he had the maturity of an 11-year-old. You know, when you are with somebody who is very immature, who is not sanctified, there's not much potential to be happy with them. You don't want to spend time with them, do you? But when you are with someone and yourself, you're both mature. The more sanctified and mature you are, the greater potential there is for greater happiness. Tim Keller said it like this. Real happiness is on the far side of holiness. Real happiness is on the far side of holiness. You know, many NFL players experience great happiness. But it is only for those who put in the hard work to win the Super Bowl. Because when they win that Super Bowl, oh man, they are happy. The whole team is happy. But it's hard work to get there, isn't it? Well, same with marriage. It takes a lot of hard work. But as the sanctification continues, there's a greater potential 
for happiness, that deeper joy. Amen? Now, when you keep in mind this biblical purpose for marriage, it is in radical opposition to most common motives for wanting to get married. Traditional societies like the rural areas of Korea and the America's Midwest and Texas, uh, they tend to make an idol of marriage because they tend to make an idol out of the family. Their culture teaches that you are not a whole person until you are married. Your status in the society is often looked down upon until you reach that status of marriage. The motive for marriage is about social duty, stability, and status. And singleness is seen by single people as a kind of purgatory. You know, just can't wait to get this over with so I can hurry up and live my life. In contemporary societies like New York City, like the city of Seoul, contemporary societies tend to make an idol out of independence. Because they make an idol out of individual choice and individual happiness. So the message you will hear from a major metropolis like this is, you should not marry until you've established yourself professionally. Because, you know, once you're married, you, you can say goodbye bye to all that stuff. And it's all going to be put on pause. So you better hurry up and get your PhD. Hurry up, get your master's. Hurry up and make sure you finish med school before you get married. And uh, you should not marry until you find a perfect partner. Because you know what? It's all about your happiness. And the motive for marriage is focused on personal fulfillment. Now, the traditional culture makes people over-desirous of marriage. The contemporary culture makes people over-afraid of marriage. Some people who've been influenced by both cultures have an excessive desire and an excessive fear, both warring inside of their hearts. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with valuing family. There's nothing wrong with valuing personal fulfillment. These things are good. But when the gospel has not renewed your heart and mind, these things, these good things can become absolutes and hinder our ability to make sound decisions. For contemporary society, the fear of marriage produces singles who are perfectionistic with unreasonable demands and expectations that are impossible to fulfill. Men will look for near perfection when it comes to physical attraction in women. And women will look for partners who are financially wealthy and stable. That's where we get the term gold digger from. <laughs> Thus, when contemporary young adults define their perfect mate, sexual and financial factors prevail people's thinking. And the reason why many young adults want an attractive or affluent partner is not to serve and to love and to be sanctified together. It is oftentimes to make themselves feel better about their self-esteem. If I'm successful professionally and I have a beautiful wife, 
Oh, I'm going to feel really good about myself. Not knowing that all, the, all of this searching and seeking is, is uh, going to end up in an empty result. Things that cannot satisfy. You know, within the church, there are several exceptions. But from my general observation, I've noticed that many Christian singles, they think the same way. Let's be real here. A lot of Christian men, you have been so soaked up in the popular culture that your ideals and expectations about physical attraction in women, most women can't fulfill that. And even if there was a drop-dead gorgeous girl who's a supermodel that happens to come to your church and is interested back in you, Look, it's just unreasonable some of the expectations that a lot of Christian men have. Most people, you know, most Christians, they immediately eliminate a potential mate based on sexual attraction or financial or social status. Tim Keller says that this is evidence that Christian singles are being shaped by the modern culture's idolatry of sexual beauty and money. Do you see the idol of beauty manifest here in the city of Seoul? If you have not seen it, if you want to go to a temple where you can see images of this idolatry, just go to Shinsa Station. Okay, I was shocked the first time I went into Shinsa Station. It's a subway station here in uh, Gangnam, Gangnam district of Seoul. And it's like, kind of like the Beverly Hills, you know, rich, rich area. Anyway, every single ad in Shinsa Station is a plastic surgery ad. And all the before pictures... You know, it's all these different people. And then the after pictures, it looks like the same person. (laughs) But it is our modern culture's idolatry of beauty and sexual, sexual attraction. And a lot of Christians are bowing down to the same idol without even knowing it. Women, you guys are bowing down to the idol of money and not knowing it. You know, you know a lot of times your parents will disqualify someone that you might be interested in because they do not, they think they can't provide enough stability. If they don't have a million dollars and a master's degree from Harvard and a PhD that he's working on. <laughs> no, he, 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 it ain't. It. <laughs> hey, by the way, I found out that in Philly, we say Mario. All right. So, so although, all right, although I'll admit, I'll admit, by the way, by the way, this video game was invented by Japanese people. You know that, right? So they pronounced it Super Mario Brothers. But if you hung out with the Italians in Philly, they said Mario. All right. When you go to pizzeria on the corner, it's Mario's pizza. All right. Not Mario's pizza. So. So I grew up saying Mario, and all my Philly friends said Super Mario Brothers, so it's Super Mario Brothers to me. (laughs) But for your sake, I will say Mario, okay? Hey, where was I? What was I talking about? (laughs) 
uh, a lot of Christian singles, they are looking for someone who's already beautiful, who's already mature and ready, who's already got the financial bank accounts and stability, rather than looking for someone who is experiencing a, a momentum of glory. Someone that they can get excited about maturing with, growing with, living out life with. You know, in light of the purpose of marriage, which is sanctification, which I told you earlier, holiness. You know, this is my advice as the pastor of this church. This is my advice. This is what you should look for when falling in love. When you look at the other person that you're interested in, and if you see that momentum of glory, right? You see God doing something in their lives. You see that momentum. And you see it there and you get a glimpse of who he or she is maturing into and becoming. And when you see that and you get a glance of that, you get excited. You might be onto something there. That might be somebody that you can really be happy, happily married with. If you get excited about that person's future self, despite being aware of all their flaws and weaknesses and insecurities. And if you find joy in personally being part of that process toward glory. That person can be potentially an amazing life partner for you. Even if that person is not, you know, nine on the sexual attraction or physical attraction scale. If you're going to fall in love, I would encourage you, men and women, look for that. Look for that momentum of glory and, and, and get a glimpse of that person's future self. And if that gets you excited and you, you get excited thinking about being part of that process, that might be a, potentially a wonderful marriage partner for you. You know, what's going to keep a marriage going is your commitment to your spouse's holiness. Anything less and your marriage will begin to wither from the inside out. If your commitment is not to your spouse's holiness, rather to your own happiness. Believe me, when that happiness ends, right? It could be during the honeymoon, by the way, for a lot of people. And for a lot of, you know, Hollywood celebrities, it is during the honeymoon. And then they will divorce like after the honeymoon. You know, but when the happiness does fade. If your commitment to your spouse's holiness is not there, if your commitment toward marriage is anything less than that, you will not be able to find yourself enjoying that marriage that you're in. You know, um, in my own personal story, when I fell in love with my wife, Erin, let me tell you something. Okay, 2006 is when I first met her. Right here in this sanctuary, on this corner right here. She was sitting, and she was surrounded by a bunch of guys, you know? And look at her. You know, she's pretty. So, you know, a lot of guys wanted to, like, get to know her and get to know her name. And I was like, Psh. This girl probably needs Jesus, you know? <laughs> so let me just go say hi, you know, and just, just see what, what, what she, where she's from. And so I went over, and I said hi, and I said, my name's Christian. She said, my name's Aaron. I said, where are you from? From New York. And then we found out that we, uh, I knew one of her best friends that she grew up with. And so as a joke, I just said, um, she's your best friend? No way. She's my best friend. You know, playful, right? I just wanted to make her feel welcome. 
Well, she gets, takes all offense to that. She's like, ew, no, she's my best friend. I'm like, oh, girl, you got some insecurity. I was just... Uh, you guys know her testimony for the most part, right? But she just, when she came to Korea in 2006, she just came back from a mission trip to Africa. But right before she went on the mission trip to Africa, she was four years in college at Binghamton University, at State University in New York. And while she was there, you guys know her story, right? She didn't go to many classes. You know, she was, uh, she was... She was seeing visions, but not the prophetic kind. <laughs> anyway, you know, she had this very prodigal kind of story. And so when she came to, she went on the mission trip to Africa, it was like God really uh, like romanced her there. And she fell in love with Jesus all over again. But then after the mission trip, she smoked weed. So she's like, I'm never going to smoke weed. I'm never. And then after the mission trip, oh, this is good. <laughs> smoke weed again. And then came to Korea. You know, and so when I met her, you know, she was just trying to come back to the Lord. And at that time, I was leading the healing and deliverance ministry. And when she started sharing her testimony, she used to be a kleptomaniac. She used to steal stuff everywhere. She used to shoplift, you know, and that's part of her testimony. It's the glory of God on it. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I, she shared the, all this testimony stuff about, her, you know, her background, I was like, girl, you need deliverance. And she was like, what? What are you talking about? What is that? Uh, and, and a couple months later, I led her a healing and deliverance session. And what happened was, up until that time, I was waiting for a girl that I had interested in back in New York. You guys know about this story, right? I waited two years for this girl, right? I just was trying to be faithful and wait and see how God works it out. And uh, around December of 2006, the girl wrote me back and made it clear that she had moved on. And so I felt the release of God to move on myself. And when I moved on, there was another girl at church that I was interested in. And so I prayed for her. And I was very interested in her. And uh, we did a couple phone calls. And one night... I had a two-hour phone conversation with this girl. And, you know, I was just giggling and laughing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you crazy, girl. <laughs> uh, and we're just having, we're having this conversation. But it felt unnatural. There was no chemistry. And when I hung, out, hung up with her, Erin called me about joining the prayer team. And so I had like a two-minute conversation with Erin. But the whole time I was like, ah, <laughs> you crazy girl. <laughs> and it was like this stark contrast. Anyway, uh, when I noticed that, I just realized I don't really like this first girl. So I, I kind of dropped her. <laughs> I dropped my interest in her. I didn't like, I didn't ask her. I weren't dating anything like that. Anyway, and then, um, and then I caught a glimpse. One day I came into missions training. This is a true story. I walk into the missions training and uh, everyone's praying together and they're doing like they're laying hands and praying for each other. And I noticed this one girl. And I'm like, who's that girl from the back? I just saw her from the back. And I was like, man, who is that girl? Man, the glory of God's all over her. Man, she looks very attractive from the back. <laughs> I was like, who is that girl? Who is that girl? And then she turns around and it was Aaron. And I was like, whoa, 
I'd never seen her in that way. Like, I never really seriously had that kind of romantic interest. But that day, I got a glimpse of glory, that momentum of glory. She was experiencing this momentum of spiritual awakening, renewal, healing, you know, like acceleration, maturity. It was happening so quickly in her life. When I got a, when I got a whiff of that, I, I got a glimpse of her future self. And I was like, man, this girl's fine. <laughs> so in my own story with Aaron, I can testify that, you know, I actually, that aspect of attraction was, played a big role in me actually being f- first initially interested in her. And you guys know the uh, latter story of how I, I needed the gospel to really um, take steps to ask her out. That's another message, if you guys heard my earlier messages about that. But what I'm trying to encourage you all to do today is when you fall in love, look for that momentum of glory. Look for that future glimpse. And if you see that future glimpse and you get excited about it and you get excited about personally being involved in that process, then that person could be potentially an amazing marriage partner for you. Now, physical attraction is important to romance. Let me be real. But many Christians, influenced by contemporary culture, place an unhealthy degree of importance on it. Some are looking for an intensity of physical attraction that is not reasonable. And others have unreasonable expectations about how their partner should feel about them. So let's break down five major myths about physical attraction. This is from M. Blaine Smith's book, Should I Get Married? First myth. Sexual attraction must be overwhelming before you decide to marry someone. There's a lot of people who believe this. And uh, some girls actually here in New Philly, they've confessed to me. They'll be like, you know, I really enjoy the dates together. I really enjoy his company. I laugh a lot. But the physical attraction is not where I think it should be. And so, therefore, I want to break it off. And I'm going... All right, where does it need to be? I mean, the guy's a fairly handsome guy. You know, he's pretty athletic. You know, John Park, he's pretty good looking. You know? <laughs> That's messed up, girl. But where, you know, what do you mean don't feel that physical attraction? <laughs> anyway, anyway, a lot, of, a lot of young people, they believe that sexual attraction has got to be overwhelming for them to marry somebody. So they're attracted to this girl. They're attracted to that girl. But, but they don't want to make any moves or they don't want to proceed to marry that girl because they feel like they see a supermodel and they're like, oh, I have greater sexual attraction to that girl. Therefore, I got to wait until I find somebody with whom I have that greater degree of sexual attraction. That's who I should marry. But this is a myth. You know, the best marriages are often those where moderate physical attraction is accompanied by good compatibility, compassion, and friendship. In fact, when eros love, that sexual love is overwhelming, it can become obsessive and become a hindrance to growing in love for each other in other areas. It can have the effect of a drug. The majority of your married life does not involve sex. And uh, if... You have this kind of mindset, 
You may find it difficult to be compassionate and sensitive toward your partner when he or she is not interested in making love. You know, sex can become this obsessive, hindering thing when the attraction is too high. Second myth. You will be more strongly attracted sexually to the person you are to marry than you've ever been toward anyone else. Let's say you had a previous romance. Ladies, listen. You had a previous romance where physical attraction was really high, really strong. Much stronger than your current boyfriend, John Park. <laughs> hey, I'm only, I'm only doing it to JP because I know he can handle it. He is a secure man. You know, you, you know you're attractive, right, JP? All right, he know he, he's a secure man. I'm only doing it to him because I know he can take it. Anyway, your previous romance was much stronger, much stronger than your current boyfriend. And you use that actually as a reason for you to conclude that your current relationship is unfit for marriage. Perhaps physical attraction may have been stronger in the past, but you may not. Uh, the truth of the matter is, you may not have been compatible in other areas with that person. With that Justin Timberlake or, you know... I don't know who's popular these days. G-Dragon. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, G-Dragon's not manly, huh? <laughs> hey. Baeyongjun, all right? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going backwards in time. I'm sorry, I don't know who the, who the popular hunks are today. Oh, oh, Ryan Gosling, right? Ryan Gosling. All right, yeah, man, forget y'all. I don't know what y'all want. Um, Anyway, it's misleading to compare relationships using a single feature. The assessment must be comprehensive. So, ladies, be careful not to over-glamorize your exes. There's a reason you broke up with him. You know? You look at JP now and you're thinking, you know? You know, he doesn't look like my previous boyfriend. But JP got it going on in other areas. That your ex was like an 11-year-old in. Myth number three. If either of you still finds it possible to be physically attracted to anyone else, then you aren't cut out for marriage to each other. This is a lie that a lot of engaged people struggle with. They think, well, honey, I saw you looking at the guy. I saw you looking at my best friend. Um, are you attracted to him? You know what? If you are, and you're more attracted to him than me, I don't think we're fit for marriage. You know? And so there's this myth where people think that if they can be physically attracted to anyone else, then it's unfit for marriage. You know, some couples swear that they've never been physically attracted to anyone else but their spouse. Yeah, exactly. And then there are those who tell the truth. You know, the apostle, uh, the apostle Paul advises Christians in 1 Corinthians 7. He, avi- <laughs> he advises. <laughs> oh, honey, honey, though. For me, though, you know. For me, my eyes are only for you. <laughs> anyway, uh, the apostle Paul advises Christians to marry in 1 Corinthians 7, quote, because there is so much immorality, 
He does not say, marry the one person you feel the strongest physical attraction toward. But rather, he says, since it is possible for you to be attracted to multiple people, invest your sexual desire in one person. And therefore, honor God. Women, do not take it personally if your husband admits to being attracted to another woman. All right. If he has the honesty and courage to actually admit that, you should commend him for his, for his honesty. You know, but when it comes down to it, you know, every one of the men in here, you know, they can be attracted, potentially attracted to someone else more than even you. But don't take that personally if they admit to that. Men, don't admit to that. <laughs> Very insensitive. Unnecessary. Now, now, if she confronts you because she's feeling insecure that day, or you dodge that question like a politician. All right? Dodge that tone. Anyway, what matters is not whether your man only has eyes for you. What matters is if your man can be self-controlled about other attractions and be faithful to you. That's what really matters. You know, hearing about, you know, your man being attracted to somebody else, it could be a one it could be a punch to your pride or to your self-esteem. It's nice to think that someone loves you and only you. And that attraction to someone else is not even a possibility. It's nice to think that. But that's not reality. Ultimately, our security of being loved must be rooted in Christ. Not in your spouse. Your spouse's affections may waver. But you know that Christ never will. And so your ability to love your husband through all those times will come out of an overflow of your experience of the love of Christ. When you are securing God's love, you can let go of Disney fantasies and enjoy the reality of a real-life marriage for what it is. Number four, myth four, your physical attraction for the one you marry will never waver. Very similar to the third one we looked at. You know, don't make a conclusion on how you feel on a given day. What's important is the pattern of of attraction you feel over a period of time. You know, and so some people, they get into a engaged uh, engagement or boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And on like one week, they're just like head over heels for that person. And then on another week, they just feel like, man, I just don't, oh, he's grossing me out. (laughs) Why is he biting his nails like that? Oh, I never, I never saw that so irksome to me. And you may kind of waver that way. But what's important is, how do you feel for him over a longer period of time? Myth number five. You will know instantly or early on in a relationship whether physical attraction can be experienced. This is the most devastating myth of all of them. Because it kills potential romances before they even have a chance to develop. You know, a lot of men do this. They meet the girl, and within three seconds... They've already assessed whether that girl will be a potential romantic interest for him or not. That's so shallow. You know, we got to assess attraction and compatibility comprehensively 
You got to consider their character. Consider the momentum of glory that's happening in their life. Consider their temperament. You know, when, when I chose to marry Aaron, I'm so glad I did. Because I knew that this woman would be unafraid to speak her mind. But the thing about her is, she doesn't, she doesn't just blurt it out. She, you see, she's a sanguine uh, phlegmatic, which is a temperament mix in which she's very outgoing and extrovert, but she also has this laid-back side. And she's, uh, one of her strengths on strength finders is positivity and empathy. And so when she speaks the truth to me, she does it with grace and love. And so I'm thankful for that because, you know what, I'm sensitive. And I think if I married somebody who just blurted out truth all the time and nagged me all the time, I'd be like, girl, shut up. <laughs> but, you know, I never say that to Erin because she, she, just, she just wraps the truth. Like, like, um, like a sambap, she just wraps it <laughs> with some kinnip and some sam and some, you know, and she puts the uh, samjang in there and makes it nice and sweet. And, she, you know, she hands me that truth, you know, and it's... And, but I'm also thankful that she's courageous to speak up when she sees me going out of line, when she sees me doing something insensitive, when she sees me leading the church, you know, in a way that's very um, abrasive or offensive, you know. Praise the Lord, you know. I'm, and and so, so for some of you men, you need somebody like that. Anyway, so the last myth is you can... Uh, Know instantly or early on in a relationship whether uh, physical attraction can be experienced. Anyway, here's my practical advice to close the message. And it's a little unorthodox. It may offend you a little bit, but just stay with me. I have two, three pieces of advice for you here today. And they're very, very short. Number one, in light of these myths for physical attraction, here's my advice to you in regards to physical attraction uh, when you look for it in a potential mate. Advice number one. Rate yourself. I told you it's unorthodox and offensive. Alright, just think, stay with me for a second. Rate yourself. On a scale of one to ten. Where do you think you are in terms of like physical attraction? Like physical uh, beauty and physical handsomeness. Alright? Look, nobody, nobody has to know the number except you. But... Identify that number. Okay, I'll be, I'll be vulnerable here, okay? All right. Here. Comprehensively, because of my lack of height and my lack of hair, I lose a few points, okay? I would, I would say that I am like a six, all right? A scan one to ten. I think I'm a six, all right? Is that fair? You think that's fair, JP? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, let me be real. Let me be real, right? I think my wife, all right. Let me just be real, right? I think she's a nine. I'm, you know, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> you don't, you don't like nine, honey? No, I, th- I think she's like a nine. I, I, I definitely think I married up in terms of physical attraction. Like, she's, she's very beautiful. Very beautiful. I'm very blessed. <laughs> but I think when it comes to physical attraction, you should know 
you should rate yourself and be sober, sober minded about it. And then when you go to look for a potential mate, your standard of deviation should be about three. Alright. I'm just, I'm just keeping it real. Let me just keep it real. Come on. Get it all out. Standard deviation of three. That's my theory. Now, now if a, if you're like a three or a four and there's a nine that's willing to, you know, you know, then hallelujah, praise the Lord. But look, look, ain't nobody else going to tell you to, you know, tell you the truth. I'm your pastor. Let me tell you the truth. You got to rate yourself. You got to know where you are. All right. And if, and if your standard deviation be about a two or a three. Because if you, if you're like, you know, not like that attractive, but you keep going for nines and tens and you're like getting frustrated with God and God is like, look, it ain't my fault. Hey, I think, I think, I think this is just good sound wisdom. Rate yourself. Number two is make a list. Make a list. Now, a lot of people aren't fans of lists, but I'm a big fan of lists. I actually had a list of uh, attributes that I was praying about in my future spouse. Now, when I met Erin, she checked off, I'd say, about two-thirds of those attributes. And one-third, which some of, some, a couple of them I thought they were non-negotiable. One of them was that my wife have uh, the ability to speak Korean better than me. You know, because, you know, just for in-law relationships, I thought that would be, you know, and so on my list was actually, you know, I wanted to marry a Korean American. And that doesn't mean, you know, eliminating interracial marriage, but that's just me being real about like what I preferred. Those are my preferences. Those are things I pray for. Okay. And when I met her, I could not understand what she was saying in Korean. <laughs> and so I had to wrestle with God, like, you know, Lord, is this something that I can let go? You know, and, and, and through the gospel of Christ, I was able to let that go. <laughs> anyway, you got to make a list. Now, w- the wisdom behind the list is not that you look and you check off, like when you meet people, oh, this person checks out everything off. It's for you to identify your desires and your, the things that appall you. Every person has a set of pet peeves as well as things that they prefer and like. You know, and so you got to identify what those things are. You can't just be like, oh, as long as he's a Christian and he knows how to pray, you know, I'll bury him. You know, <laughs> identify what irks you, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of good, you know, like hygienic preferences. You know, you may, you may be very clean, very hygienic, Right. And if you marry a good-looking, you, you meet a good-looking guy, and you're like, oh, this person is great. But as you date, you realize he's a slob. And it looks like it's going to take 50 years before this person is going to get any, anywhere near hygienic. That may irk you, right? That may irk you, and that may actually make it difficult for you to proceed in a romantic relationship and into a marriage. Now, if that's that important to you, you should identify that instead of continue to date the guy because he's just good looking and you're like oh something's irking me about him but i can't identify it but he's good looking oh he's good looking so i'm gonna keep dating him and you keep dating him you keep dating him and you get near engagement or you get engaged and then you finally realize i can't stand the dude because he's dirty right that's not fair to that guy 
Identify early on and see if it's something that you're willing to negotiate or you're, it's, it's a non-negotiable for you. You should identify those things. And then you should identify and eliminate unrealistic and un, un, unreasonable expectations that you list on that list. Anything that's unreasonable, un, un, uh, unrealistic, you should eliminate. Uh, this is what M. Blaine Smith says. Identify all the important expectations that you hold for marriage. If you find that either of you has a strong expectation that isn't shared by the other and is not negotiable, I would advise you not to marry unless this difference can be reconciled. So the wisdom of doing the list is identifying all of these differences up front rather than after you're married. And you do have them, by the way. No matter how laid back of a person you think you are, you have certain preferences and pet peeves that are inside of you. You just got to identify what they are. And then number three, my third piece of advice is let the gospel tweak your list. And so, you know, one of the things that was on my list was the girl must have never touched cigarettes or drugs. <laughs> All right. And when I when, when I started dating Aaron, I, I knew her story because I did her healing deliverance session. All right. I mean, she used to be part of a college of, um, friend group called the Blackout Gang. The Blackout Group. Blackout. Team Blackout. And I was like, what is Team Blackout, honey? Well, well, duh. It's when you drink so much that you black out. <laughs> I was like, what kind of twisted friendship did you have with these people? But yeah, she was part of Team Blackout. And so it gives you an idea that, you know, she obviously touched a lot of, you know, illegal substances. Um, so anyway, I, I had to look at those types of items on my list. And I was like, man, I just, this is what I pray for, Lord. Lord, but this is what I pray for. And I just, and then I had to let the gospel come in. It says, I've given her a new beginning. If I've given her a new beginning, it's almost like she's never touched a cigarette or drugs in her life. What would your attraction be to her if she never touched cigarettes or drugs in her life? I'm like, oh, I'm on it then. <laughs> well, that's how I see her. Can you see her the way I see her? See, that's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That's the implications of the gospel. And you got to allow the gospel to tweak your list. Okay, so make your list, but let the gospel tweak your list. That's my third piece of advice. Uh, there's a lot of women. I want to end with this. Uh, there's a lot of women who restrict themselves to marrying a man who is spiritually stronger than them. And they, they say, you know, if the guy's not spiritually stronger than me, then he can't lead. So you know what? If he, he can't lead, then I'm not going to marry him. Okay, um... Is it good for women to restrict themselves in this way? And my advice is, uh, no, not necessarily. You know, if you're, if you're like Pastor Myung-ha, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to find a man <laughs> that's spiritually stronger than her. She's very spiritually strong for her age. You know, a, a lot of men will meet her, you know, and they will feel like they need, like, you know, 200 years to catch up to <laughs> Her, her spiritual level of authority. Uh, but should she, should she restrict herself just to men that she feels like are stronger? No, and, and she's already on it, right? No. But a lot of women, a lot of Christian women think that, you know, and they disqualify these great men who are just maybe coming back to the Lord. If there's that momentum of glory, like watch out, like pay attention. That's the movement of the Holy Spirit. 
If it is a substantial move of the Holy Spirit in that person's life, and that person is really starting to mature, they might still fall, they might still make mistakes, but if there's that momentum is still building toward them being mature, you know, then don't be like, oh, oh, he only, he only I heard him pray the other day, you know, it sounded like, you know, you know, he, you know, he read it from a book, like, you know, he doesn't know how to pray, on, you know, on his own, and don't disqualify him. Women, women of God, I don't know where you got that from, but it's not in the Bible. So open your heart. So in conclusion, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul urges husbands who may be tempted to be disillusioned with their wives to love their wives the same way Christ loved the church. I'm going to end with a quote from Tim Keller. We must say to ourselves something like this. When Jesus looked down from the cross, he did not think, I am giving myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No, he was in agony and he looked down at us, denying him, abandoning him, betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed on that cross. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And Christ loved us, not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. And that's why I am going to love my spouse. Speak to your heart like that. And then fulfill the promises that you made on your wedding day. End quote. Do you see why the Apostle Paul teaches that married people are to love each other as Christ has loved the church. When that happens, there's a beautiful sanctification movement that happens in both their lives. And when that sanctification is happening, there's a greater potential for deep, wonderful, ecstatic happiness. And so, young people, stop going out to churches and looking for your potential mate like you're going to a mall or a meat market be discerning about who you see and don't see them just for their cover or just for the outside assess the whole comprehensive attraction because good marriages is like good wine the more it ages all the better it tastes That's not from the Bible, but amen. All right. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, I pray for every person in this room. And I'm praying that, Lord, you help us to identify the influence of our modern culture upon our views of romance. Renew our minds today. Wash our minds with the water of your word. Help us to see that marriage is not about just happiness. But marriage was designed by you. Even before the fall, you had Christ in mind when you designed marriage. And you gave it as a gift to us to sanctify us. The purpose of marriage is to make us holy and then to make us happy. Father, I pray that there will be no more disillusionment 
among young people who get married under false pretenses and deception. But rather, they would wake up and with a sober mind, they would consider marriage partners and they would enter a marriage covenant with the perspective that comes from your word. Sanctify us, Lord. Sanctify us through our relationship with you. Sanctify us through our relationship with the church community. Sanctify us in our relationship with our marriage partner so that on that day when we appear before you, we may be presented to you as a church, holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle, any other blemish, glorious and radiant, just like Sarah Wan came down that aisle last night. We pray that we will be a church, a bride that's shining white, magnificent and made for her groom. We desire to be a people sanctified, Lord. So sanctify us, Lord. Sanctify us. For we find our greatest joy in our oneness with you. Human marriage cannot fulfill this desire for fulfillment and joy we know that only our relationship with you can sanctify us Lord that we may have oneness with you and that we may have love and intimacy with each other pray this in Jesus name Amen let's all stand to our feet